was really about it's okay not to be okay. Oftentimes we hear, oh, kids are so resilient and and they are and can be, but that needs to be taught and nurtured. You're a classroom teacher and everything's like, boom, 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 you've got to get all of this done. Um, it can be a struggle to take a couple seconds aside and talk with the student. The research and the science to back up why this has to come first before the academics and the learning can take place. I think the more we realize that our role in supporting someone is not to fix them. And that's something I've learned in my journey. My name is Jose Alvarez. And I'm Corey Austin. Welcome again to Beyond Our Bell. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Mindful Steps 1, 2, 3. So we're going to be talking to a former uh, American School Foundation of Monterey teacher. Uh, and this teacher's path took a sudden switch due to a series of traumatic incidents in her life. Uh, she was able to turn this series of traumatic events into a passion project whose main goal is to support educators around the topic of trauma, death, and grieving. Uh, this comes at a, a good time for our school and many schools around the world uh, who are implementing and investing a lot of time and money into SEL or social-emotional programs. Social-emotional learning is becoming more and more a relevant topic because as we touch into this conversation it's very hard to give you 100% when you're not there and um, the social emotional toll of trauma can be a great roadblock into learning and just like developing any person. And so Mary's just going to talk about her path to how, how she got to Mindful Steps 1, 2, 3, and she's going to share uh, what exactly that program does and how uh, teachers might implement it into their programs and schools. I'm really proud of uh, have worked with Mary and particularly to share what she is discovering in this episode with you guys. So this is Mary. Hi, um, do you want to just start by introducing yourself, Mary? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. I grew up in Wisconsin in the United States. Some of my personal interests are being outdoors and hiking, kayaking, snowshoeing. Another passion is working with students, and so I became a teacher. I taught for 27 years, and the first 14 years, we're in Wisconsin, and the following nine were in ASFM. So was ASFM um, the last time you were in classroom? Well, yes, in a regular classroom, and I've been substitute teaching ever since, doing a couple long terms with that. Okay. Um, um, and, and I guess we're, we're, we're speaking with you today because, um, well, we met you a, a few months back at the Tri-Association Conference and you shared with us that you've um, started something that's called Mindful Steps. Um, and I'd just like you to kind of tell our listeners what Mindful Steps is and how it came to life. Sure. Uh, I'm going to back up a little bit before I explain exactly what it was and okay. talk about how it came to be. Um, as I said, I was teaching at ASFM, and I was pretty happy there. 
And I went to a conference in New Orleans, a social studies conference. And the last day I went into the wrong session. It wasn't the session I had planned on going into. And snuck in the back. I was a little late. And the woman's name was Sonia Nasario, who is the author of Enrique's Journey. Oh, wow. And okay. her, I, I think you might be familiar with that book. Yeah, yeah. we do. And, yeah. and I think it, yeah. all, of, all, all our school the is. The seventh graders there use it. I um, listened to this woman and she's telling her story of researching and following the journey of Enrique, who was from Guatemala, and everything that she went through and her experience of what it would be like to be a, a migrant going through Mexico to get to the United States. And it was something that really affected me. Um, before, by the time I left there, I was pretty much a puddle of tears and realized my life had changed. So I wasn't sure what that was going to be, but within a couple of weeks, I had to make that decision if I was coming back to SFM. As we know in international education, they, they need to know pretty early before next year leave ASFM not knowing what this next phase of my life was. I was really excited about it. I, I thought it would be something with nonprofit or just somehow making a difference in the world in a different way than being a classroom teacher. Uh, however, that January, I got a terrible phone call that Donnie had died by suicide. And so I went back to Wisconsin a week later, came back to Mexico. It was one of those things that I had to support my sister. And how does one do that? You know, you can't ask, how are you? She wasn't able to answer the phone on many days. So that's where I kind of went back to tools I've used in education and just that simple scale of where are you today on a scale from one to ten for several weeks. And then I... Being the word person that I am, I started as adding words like drop of rain to tsunami or um, where are you on the scale of breathing to hand me a brown paper bag as soon as possible. So that kind of thing. And added in emojis, weather, pictures. Um, so, for example, I would add some humor, like being from Wisconsin, Green Bay Packer fan, have a picture of um, Aaron Rodgers and on the other end of the scale at the time it was Tony Romo we didn't like so that kind of scale is where this all started from and uh, to give people maybe a better image one thing I do when I do work with groups I have actual apples there start with this full juicy red apple and then a, in the middle a half-eaten apple and all the way to the right, this apple core. So that is basically what I came up with. And when, as time went on that semester, I'm still at that point in my life trying to figure out what am I going to do? I need a job. I, I need this career. Um, and a few weeks later, my dad died. And it was one of those things that, you know, he was 92, had Alzheimer's, and I was ready for that. But then within the next 16 months, I had three more very profound losses in my life. 
And so I just kept putting off my, what am I going to do with my career? And two late, or a year and a half later, from the time I left ASFM, I went back to visit. And Elizabeth Salinas, who I know you've had on your show one or two times, um, kept saying, go back to your scales. She knew what I had been doing. And she just said, you have something there. You've got this empathy piece. So at that point, I committed. And from there forward, I've been just every day thinking, what can I do to make something of this? Everybody I shared it with, professionals, family, those in profound grief, all agreed I had something. So as I went along, I started getting involved in grief camps and volunteered with hospice, dove into research about the effects of death and dying, and then um, I also started creating curriculum. Ali Cantu from ASFM reached out to me and asked if I could put something together for her advisory program or her access program, and she started using it, and I can talk a little bit more later about how that worked out for her. So that's a, a long version of how this came to be. And I think it's that whole piece of the story and how I got there that really has made it my passion, my passion project. Wow, Mary, um, thanks for sharing all of that with us. It must be, I can tell that it's still tender in certain points. And I think that for most of our listeners too, we all can relate to certain cases and certain ones never totally heal. Um, and I think this is the, the definition of what we're trying to do when we set up something under the name Beyond Our Bell. Seems like the educator in you is, is finding a way to use your knowledge for good uh, outside of the classroom or inside of the classroom. And while you were telling that story, and I could see the usefulness of the charts um, to try to identify loss or depression or fears, um, I was also thinking, have you approached the other way around? Is it, it I mean, like celebrating, celebrations or accomplishments? Uh, have you explored that side as well? Or, or get to was always kind of try to work first with um, pain? All of these things come kind of piling up on you, especially in your case. You know, you've had, you, you had so much loss in a, a very short amount of time. And then it, it almost seemed like that was like, uh, like a calling for you. I don't know if, if you can comment on that or like... Yeah, so I have a whole range of scales. Many of them have to do with the emotions. Some are reaction to whether it's grief, trauma, dealing with the physical reactions, maybe looking at sleep patterns or exercise patterns, but also a lot of humor, maybe looking at accomplishing goals. I, of course, had no idea that my life would have been a journey of anything to do with grief when I made that decision to leave. Uh, and it was just something that kind of came naturally. I remember, though, when my friend Bear died, and he really was like a brother to me. And my friend called me that night, and she said, well, you know, maybe your next steps are going to be in grief. And I just kind of pushed that off and said, you know, no, that that's not my expertise. Um, but then, you know, with two following deaths, it was 
all-consuming and it just through friends kind of helping me see that yeah you know you've got these life experiences before and you have so much to offer put those together with your background of an educator and so yeah I never thought I would be where I am uh, working on this project okay um, I, I was going to ask too, Mary, and, I, and, and you've talked a little bit about mindful steps one, two, three, and, and some scales, which is hard to kind of, um, I think, visualize over a podcast. So we'll, right. we'll, we'll share some of that stuff uh, visually, maybe through some links on our website. But if you could kind of like just go over the, the main purpose or goal of, of mindful steps one, two, three, you may have mentioned it, but like if you could just kind of lay that out for us. So when I started, it was really about, it's okay not to be okay. So wherever my sister was on that scale was okay. And it was the communication piece just to stay in touch, to let her know I was there and I loved her. And I didn't know what to say, but I could communicate. And so that's still my message, especially in the area of grief, because it is okay not to be okay. And in our society, we're very death avoidant. Um, and I think this is a way to make those connections and to be able to use them. Anybody, you don't have to know what to say. If you kind of establish a routine this with someone, it's okay not to ask how they are. Oh, I was just going to say, as I ended and moved beyond grief and was looking at the social and emotional part that could be used in schools, I really saw how they could be used with mindfulness as individuals look at their self-awareness and then towards self-management. So I saw a lot of different uses for them. And it's, you know, acknowledging that pain or the emotions, uh, displaying empathy. Uh, a big part is just that a communication piece, opening path for communications, building relationships. So uh, leading to the next question, I think you answered a little bit. Um, what are the benefits of using these strategies for, for all people involved? So teachers, students, parents, um, the whole community. How can we, we benefit from something like this? Well, I think one piece is there's a shared language. If everybody's using these scales at, at different times and different ways, People know what they are. You don't have to explain them. For example, as I'm subbing now, the students know that I'm going to pull that out every so often. And so within the school, that can just be something that is understanding. It's people understand what they're doing. It's low risk. And, you know, when you're asking a student maybe who's experienced trauma, they don't know how to communicate because they might not know what they're feeling but to be able to point to a picture of, you know, a cactus showing they're prickly that day versus cuddly kitties, it's just a way that is easy for people to use. And what I like about these is they can be used in any classroom for any reason. It doesn't have to be those big issues of grief or trauma. I'm curious as how you like choose the the options. So, what does that look like in your if, when you're subbing, or if I were to use them in a classroom here at ESFM? Um, what are the different kind of scales and modes and and images you use, and how do you decide that? What does that look like? 
So I see different ways of using it in the classroom. Perhaps on a Monday morning, I would do one having to do with energy level. You know, it might be a sleeping polar bear versus a squirrel running around. Maybe if I could tell kids are really stressed out, it might be looking at how their coping skills are being used uh, based on things that we've already talked about. So I see a lot of different ways to be used in a classroom. Um, Mary, I wanted to add, like, I can see absolutely the fit that your set of um, cards will have in a, in, in a school or an educational institution, but... Uh, you obviously started with a very per personal example of it. Do you see other places where this um, set of emotional, emotional cards to identify where you are can be of value outside of the education institutions? Sure. Um, I'm working on a book right now, and the audience for that book are professional clinicians and people who would be leading grief groups. So the research that I've done is in the area of how these scales can provide better support opportunities. And with that, it's looking at the understanding and normalization of grief and trauma, because I think so many times, you know, kids especially, but adults too, we don't understand what's happening when we have all these physical ailments or we're crying at the weirdest times and through the scales, at looking at them and that self-awareness, education can come along with that. Do you feel that there's um, a way yeah, to introduce I, I, very personal images based on very particular situations, so meaningful, obviously, geographically speaking, age-wise, sex-wise, certain images are going to be appealed to um, certain populations much more. It can be more powerful depending on your culture. Um, I, how are you integrating all those factors? Well, my goal is to create as many as possible in looking at age and interest, but I really have realized that one scale can be perceived very differently by two different people, or people can receive them differently. I had one that was a series of swimming pools from a beautiful one to an empty one. And one friend said, I don't get it. I don't like it. And the next person really liked that. So I think who's ever using the skills needs to be aware of what will work with who they're using them with. A lot of times I ask, I might give a, you know, here are six scales. Which one do you want to look at today? Um, and one thing also... I've been working on with students. These are students who are at risk and in an alternative high school program. And I allowed them, after we used my scales and they got the idea what it's all about and they were looking at their emotions and noticing them and naming them, I had them create their own scales with their own interests. And they really got into this. And this was something that they did some things I hadn't thought of. You know, I had thought of them using their favorite musical artists compared to somebody who they don't like, but one girl used her favorite song that she listens to and she's in a good mood, and then at the other end was a song she listens to when she's sad or depressed, and so her scale was looking more on emotions versus maybe good and bad within the day. More and more as researchers 
folks are looking at the effects of death and dying. It's another stage, if you will, or a piece is continuing bonds and making meaning of a loss um, or just of the person's life as they continue. And so with those personal connections for continuing bonds with my grandniece who was seven when her dad died by, by suicide, we her dad loved penguins. So I have uh, several scales actually using different penguins and with her, I used a memory that she had, and that was of her dad flying a kite, and he was up on a building that was kind of falling apart. It's the farm where I grew up, and then her dad saving the tangled-up kite and then flying it, and it's just kind of neat because it's a memory she has, and, you know, she's only seven. A lot of those memories will be lost, and that piece was actually very personal for me, too, uh, that was the last day I saw my nephew. So I can use that scale, too, just to kind of put things in perspective and where I am with remembering the people in my life and how I'm coping with, with my losses as grief comes and goes. So, Mary, I'm, I'm genuinely cur curious about how does this set of different images look? Like, in my mind, I'm trying to go towards a Parker Brothers version of these cards. Um, and while you were talking about also personalizing them, it, I, it seems like you have a huge amount of them already. How do you store them? How do you share them with other people? So I do have that idea of the cards with you, too. I'd, I'd like to create a box set that could be uh, purchased. And so it might go with different ages, uh, different purposes. But that is something I would like to do and also eventually have something that could be purchased digitally. Um, so right now with the lesson plans I'm creating, they're just on documents. And uh, so I print things off with the kids I'm working with at school, with the, the at-risk students. Uh, but eventually my goal would be, besides the book that I'm writing, the scales in there, is to have those tangible cards. Because I think it is it's, it's nice to see them up on the, the board. As students walk in, they can put a post-it note. But if you're working one-on-one, -on -one, I think it's really important to have that physical paper. Uh, one thing right now as I'm starting and working all this, the images are a big deal, getting the legal images, using my own photography. So that's a, a piece that I'm still working on. It sounds, it sounds like, like a great, great collaboration project. If anybody is listening to us, I'm sure that people would like to donate their own images. And, and that makes it, again, a, a really good contribution towards a common goal Yeah, absolutely. I'm always looking for photos. So, Well, if anybody's well, listening and wants to collaborate with this project, make sure to hear us. Or, in fact, Mary, where, um, if people are interested in, in getting you to explain in more detail or see applications for their classroom or everyday life, um, is there some place where you prefer to be contacted? Yes, they can contact me via email, and that's Mary dot bry spelled b-r-e-y at mindfulsteps123.com right. and I'm looking on a website and there's still some glitches with getting that but that's coming too Great. Great. I, I actually have a, a, I don't know if you've ever explored, but a few uh, sites that we use for pulling um, high quality photos 
Some, uh-huh. A lot of times just for presentations and whatnot. But um, there's two that we mainly use. One is called Unsplash. And another one is called Gratisography. Um, and you can check out how the copyright works. But mostly people are putting up those nice photos on there for, for people to use. And sometimes you can buy the photographer a coffee or things like that. Uh-huh. But, but check yeah. out Unsplash and Gratisography. There's really cool photos on there. Yeah, I think I've heard of the second one. Unsplash, I don't think I've used, but I, I have found a few of those sites that, that I've liked. and uh, So thank you for those recommendations. Yeah, I have another question, and I think throughout the dialogue so far, it may have been answered, but it, I'm going to be just a little more direct. What, well, what challenges do educators and students face when dealing with heavy topics such as death and grieving? Oh, I think so much of it is just our cultural background and not being comfortable approaching these topics of death, not feeling like we know what to say. I believe educators just haven't been trained in that. I know when I was in college and took my courses in education, I had one little unit on death and dying. Well, it was probably 10 years later when I had my first student who died by suicide and completely unprepared. And so I guess just training uh, and knowing that, and I think this is for everyone, that just being there and sharing space is the main idea. And I think oftentimes as educators, we don't know that. We don't feel, so many people you hear say, well, I'm not the touchy-feely. Well, again, if you're using the scales, you don't have to say a word. those conversations might develop, but I just think that so many times, and we don't know what to say, but also that that time piece, if you're a classroom teacher and everything's like boom, 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 you've got to get all of this done, um, it can be a struggle to take a couple seconds aside and talk with the student. So why would you say it's important for school communities to embrace aspects of, you know, we hear a lot about wellness and social-emotional learning is something uh, our school has taken on as a school-wide goal. So why are resources such as Mindful Steps 1, 2, 3 important to to move this? Yeah, um, going back to a million years ago when I was first... uh, in education at the university. And I remember so much about learning about the whole child, you know, uh, social, emotional, physical, intellectual. So this is nothing new, but it always seemed that that intellectual academic piece was first and the others kind of a second tier. But with more and more brain search, we realized that what trauma, grief, other extreme stressors can do to a developing brain. So I think now the more we know, the better we can do with incorporating social and emotional learning. Oftentimes we hear, oh, kids are so resilient and and they are and can be, but that needs to be taught and nurtured. So I think that whole piece of what's happening now, people have understood, but now there's the the research and the science to back up why this has to come first before the academics and the learning can take place. Well, I think we all agree too that um, it's a disease in so many spe- in so many cases, like depression is or or grief, mm-hmm. and uh, 
you can't really be expected to go out there in the world and be the best version of yourself if you're sick. Yeah, um, and I, I just thought of another thing back when you asked what some of the roadblocks are for educators. And, and one, when dealing with certain deaths, there's there's stigmas, whether it's suicide or a death caused by uh, substance abuse. And so those are things that we're just not prepared for. And as hopefully as cultures develop and, and mental illness is talked about more, suicide is talked about more, that these conversations can be more natural. And I'm hoping with things, with different tools and with Mindful Steps, it's just one tool that can help bridge some of those gaps and, and help people feel comfortable when they don't know what to say. They can, you know, have somebody just point in a picture and it's so low risk. That's what I like about it. Um, Mary, you mentioned that you were back to ASFM for a visit and you worked with a few of our teachers here. Can you comment on that? Sure. I put on a training for the well-being department and I shared my project with them and how they could use it with students. Uh, we had students come in who had been in Ms. Gantu's class the year before and shared what they thought about it and what they liked about it and how it helped them uh, take more risks with their friends in that class and they became friends. And one thing that Ms. Gantu said is that the scales for her in her access group was kind of like the gateway drug for having them open up and being able to do things and have discussions that otherwise would not have happened. When I was there at ASFM, not only did I talk to the well-being team, I did talk to an access group who, the student who died by suicide had been in that group. And so I shared uh, a brief part of my story with them and shared the scales. And, you know, I don't know if those kids use those at all, but they all walked out with scale. They grabbed, I had a whole bunch to choose from. And if it's just one student can connect with another or use it at home to a parent who they don't want to talk to, but say, here, uh, I've got this scale. So that's part of it, too, is just getting these scales out and so much in education. We never know what might be carried on or one little piece that we've done or shared. So, you know, hopefully that 20 minutes that I spend with those students, they took something away, you know, even realizing that, um, I made meaning after all my loss in what I'm doing. And it might not be as as big of a change, but that they see that with the grief they're experiencing, experiencing they can make some meaning as well. Well, Mary, I remember very vividly thinking when you left ASFM that us as a school, we, I felt that we lost a great teacher. I always saw your the relationship you had with your students, and I always... You were a pleasure to work with, um, but now I feel that maybe not only your school, but another huge group of population is also winning when you are back on this arena of education and well-being and just trying to make the most out of everybody. Thank you, Jose. I, um, you know, I guess I've just been really lucky that I people who are supporting me with this, and um, I'm just. I truly, truly trust that this is all coming together and it's been a long process and as far as making these cards or the scales in the book, because it's such a new, scary 
experience for me. So it's really been a learning process about me. Um, and I just do know that this is helpful. And, you know, so that's what keeps me going with it. Well, Mary, I think the, the, the people that will benefit from it are, um, and, and just benefit from you taking a risk and, and searching this out is going to be, you know, we can't imagine the benefits. So, and I think just coming to a close, we'd just like to thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, you know, it's it's not the easiest topic to, to talk about, but as you know and, and will we'll say, it's it's so important to, to talk about these things. Um, but but thanks so much for ha- for for coming on the podcast. And I don't know if you have any final words or anything you'd like to share before we before we say goodbye. You know, I think I do. There's one piece that I didn't talk about from the very beginning, um, and that was when we have somebody who has lost someone and we want to support, uh, like I did with my sister. I wanted to fix her, and I think that's part of our society. We want to fix somebody's grief and take away their pain. And that's not our job because somebody who's grieving isn't broken. Uh, So I think our job is holding space. And whether that be with just sitting silently or using a scale or something, I I think the more we realize that our role in supporting someone is not to fix them. And that's something I've learned in my journey. Again, thank you very much for sharing. And um, hopefully this won't be the last time. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Good talking to you both again. All right. Thank you so much, Mary. Bye. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen to our conversation with Mary. Um, Mindful Steps 1 to 3, as you heard, is just in a developing stage right now. If you're looking to collaborate or if you're looking for ways to implement these charts in your own personal life or in your classroom, make sure to contact Mary. Uh, We will provide an email, the one that she shared with us while we were recording. And also, I believe her webpage is in the works. Well, right now her webpage is in the works, but uh, the best probably uh, spot to stop by is her Facebook page. You can Google that on Mindful Steps 123. And again, Mary's offering, you know, training and resources to educators and health professionals in the area of grief, trauma, and social-emotional learning. So uh, she's working on, you know, releasing more of these scales and image-based kind of nonverbal communication methods. And uh, yeah, just check out her Facebook page and and her website that's in the making um, if you're someone who's looking for more information. I think it's something that any school... Uh, could benefit from um, because you know that all of our students and teachers uh, at some point are going to be dealing with this type of grieving and trauma and and topics such as. And empathy should be explored in every possible way, especially in schools. Yeah, and and empathy, I mean, we should mention that they are called empathy scales. Um, She's kind of titled the the nonverbal communication like images that she spoke of, she's calling them empathy scales. So I think that's they're pretty unique and, and a great way to see where where people are uh, in your classroom, in your workplace, or whatever. Uh, a new great bridge also to have communication with your students, um, and just a, another giant step in the right direction. All right. Well, thank you for listening. 